1: To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I have said before in the intro to at least a few of my podcasts that it feels like it's been forever since we've spoken. And never has that been more true than it feels today. Because it has been forever. Thank you for being patient with me as I was off last week, but I'm back and I'm thrilled to be talking in front of this microphone to imaginary people who will then listen theoretically to me the next day and the day after. Because if you really think about it, podcasting is weird. I'm talking to absolutely no one right now. I'm making hand gestures to nobody. But you are listening to this hours or days After I'm making these hand gestures to nobody. So I'm making them to a future version of you. There's this whole time travel thing involved in podcasting. If you really get into the meta, but what I want to talk about today is the McBean regime and their stance on the concept of a featured workhorse running back. I feel like one of the narratives of the 2021 offseason that surrounded the Buffalo Bills team at least up to the draft was potential for improvement in the running game. Now, the Bills brought back the same offensive coordinator and an almost identical offensive line because by the time John Feliciano got back at right guard, Cody Ford was then out at left guard. So it wasn't exactly right. Proponents of running it back on the offensive line will tell you that the projected starting five played zero snaps together in 2020. But from a personnel standpoint, it's very, very, very similar. So because of those two things happening leading up to the draft, the attention then turned to running back additions, specifically former Clemson running back, now Jacksonville Jaguar, Travis Etienne. And I feel like the conversation around Etienne centered around his dynamic skill set, in comparison to the currently rostered Buffalo Bills running backs. One thing that may have been missed in that conversation is whether or not the current Bills regime even believes in an old-school, three-down, featured workhorse running back type on a philosophical level. Because that's one of the things that could potentially help to justify an expenditure That would be required to get Travis Etienne. Now, it ended up being a moot point because Travis Etienne was selected at number 25 overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we never had to answer the question as to whether or not the Bills would have taken him if he would have been on the board at 30 because he wasn't there at 30. So that's part of the conversation that I don't feel like we really had. And now that it's all over, And the conversation has started to shift toward who's going to be the man for the Bills' backfield in 2021. Is it going to be the newly photographed and ripped Devin Singletary? Will it be Zach Moss, hopefully finally healthy? Will it be new game-breaking speed back Matt Breida? I am here to tell you I don't think it will be any of those people. I do not think that the concept of the guy is really all that important to the current decision-makers at One Bill's Drive. Before I dive into it, this podcast has a written form. It is on buffalorumblings.com, and you can go find it, and you can follow along with these points if you so choose. Or if you're done with this and you want to go digest it at a little bit of a slower pace than I may be talking, you can go to buffalorumblings.com. Find it under there. Now, we know Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, isn't opposed to drafting a running back in the first round. He openly said so in his post-draft press conference. But even if the Bills came home from the opening night in the NFL draft with a shiny new toy at the running back position, I'm not sure they would be an 18 to 23 touch per game player. Why am I using those numbers? Where do they come from? Well, I just said... But this discussion is about a featured workhorse per lineups.com Dalvin Cook led the NFL in touches per game in 2020 with 25.4 followed by Christian McCaffrey at 25.3 Derek Henry at 24.8 Joe Mixon at 23.3 and James Robinson at 20.6 so that 18 to 23 touches per game that'll get you in the range of featured workhorses. I'm simply not sure it's something that this regime believes in, barring a special set of circumstances. So in order to outline why I think that they think this, I'm going to go through three distinct types of evidence. What they have seen being what has influenced them, what they have said that they have expressly stated, and what they have spent because actions speak louder than words. Putting these three buckets of evidence together, I will frame for you an argument, and I will argue that it's probably not something they believe in, and they seem pretty firm about it. First off, what they've seen. We we talk a lot about Brandon Bean's influences, specifically as it relates to former Panthers general manager and current Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman. It comes up all the time. It comes up a lot when we talk about Brandon Bean not wanting to trade down the way that Dave Gettleman never trades down. Ironically enough, in this particular draft, both Dave Gettleman and Brandon Bean ended up trading down. So even when they finally break the mold, they do it together. So I understand where that influence comes from. But we do not talk about Panthers general manager, Marty Herney, because Brandon Bean became the director of football operations in Carolina in 2008 when Marty Herney was the general manager. That was the beginning of him being an integral part of the football front office. And Marty Herney, who was the first major football boss that Brandon Bean had, in 2006 drafted D'Angelo Williams 27th overall and promptly had him back up the incumbent running back to Sean Foster, remember him? For two years before D'Angelo Williams took over the lead role in 2008. Ironically enough, D'Angelo Williams broke out in 2008, had a 1,515-yard rushing season. And it happened right after Herney drafted another running back in the first round in Jonathan Stewart at an even higher pick 13th overall, your immediate assumption might be that they drafted Jonathan Stewart because they were disappointed with D'Angelo Williams. But that's not true. The year before they drafted Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams outperformed Foster, ran for 717 yards, and averaged five yards a carry. D'Angelo Williams was doing well. And they still drafted another running back in the first round. And again, had him play second fiddle to the guy who was currently in the role. This whole draft a talented running back thing, draft them really high, but then don't make them the bell cow. That behavior continued when Dave Gettleman became the Panthers GM. He drafted Christian McCaffrey, eighth overall in 2017, and McCaffrey spent his rookie year playing the role of a third down back behind Jonathan Stewart. So it's like they're passing the torch really slowly from Foster to Williams to Stewart to McCaffrey. But all this time, there's timeshares in between. Christian McCaffrey caught 80 passes, but he only ran the ball 117 times because he was second fiddle in the running game to Jonathan Stewart. We're in an age where running backs enter the league in their prime years. They're ready to produce right when they walk in the door. We talked about this a lot when the Bills drafted Devin Singletary. I said at that time, and we'll continue to say, that running backs do not need to be seasoned. You don't need to draft them two years before you end up needing them or a year before you end up needing them. No, draft them when you need them because they walk in the door ready to go in their athletic prime. They're ready to produce right then. And you're just wasting a year or two of a valuable rookie contract if you decide to season them. But Brandon Beans, two most recent front office bosses, didn't let even drafting a running back with a premium resource stop them from a timeshare. So the fact that they invested a premium resource still wasn't enough to shake them from the idea that that you don't really have one guy. You have multiple guys. Now, you might think that Brandon Bean and the influences on him are the only influences that matter in this conversation, and I don't think that's true. Let's talk about offensive coordinator Brian Dable. He spent seven years as an offensive coach for the New England Patriots. If any of you have ever had a New England Patriots running back in fantasy football, you will know what I'm about to say. The Patriots have been a thorn in the side of many a fantasy football owner because they refuse to commit to a singular running back on a year-to-year, month-to-month, week-to-week, or even drive-to-drive basis. It's not part of their DNA. Brian Dable was influenced by that. So these are the factors, the influences, around the decision makers at One Bill's Drive, the people who would decide whether or not this is a bell cow workhorse team. These are some of the influences that have happened around them. You learn a lot of who you are from the way you were brought up, whether that's true genetically or familially or influentially through business. You learn a lot of the ways in which you do things by the people who are around you and influenced you during your time coming up. And so that's why it's important to talk about it. We've been through one of the three aspects of this argument. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're
0: going to go through the other two. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team.
1: Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We have gone through one of the three prongs in this argument that I am outlining that says that I don't think the Bills regime is really a workhorse kind of thing. I don't think that's who they are. Now, people adjust, people change. But barring some unforeseen spectacular circumstances, I don't think they necessarily believe in a feature back. And the reason we're even having this discussion is because there's a narrative brewing as to who's going to be the guy for the Bills in 2021. And I don't think there is going to be a guy in the traditional sense of the word. I don't think there's going to be a Dalvin Cook. I don't think there's going to be a Derrick Henry. And I outlined for you the first reason why, which is the things that I think have influenced The decision makers at One Bill's Drive, Brandon Bean, Brian Dable. Now, let's talk about the things that people who are important to this decision have specifically said. The most obvious point in favor of this assertion that I'm making is something that Sean McDermott has said himself. And I've brought it up on this podcast before. But I want to get the exact turn of phrase correct. Sean McDermott, After the Bills had lost to the Houston Texans in the 2019 playoffs, and had a situation where a clearly less effective Frank Gore was getting a bulk of touches relative to more effective rookie Devin Singletary. Sean McDermott said, quote, I know this, it's not good to have one back carry the ball every time. So you'd like to have two backs that work together, end quote. There was a clear efficacy difference between Frank Gore and Devin Singletary. And it didn't change his mind. It didn't change his philosophy. So we've seen that highly drafted running backs didn't change the philosophy of the people who influenced Brandon Bean. And we see that proven efficacy differences didn't change Sean McDermott's belief. All of a sudden, this is getting stronger and stronger of an argument. When the production gap between Singletary and Gore started to manifest itself, McDermott was asked if this impressive rookie from Florida Atlantic was the, quote, feature back. His response was this, quote, now we're just getting into the weeds here a little bit. Feature back, number one back, how about just running back, end quote. When he was asked about Frank Gore, he said, quote, he's one of our running backs, end quote. They continued to press him, and he eventually just said, quote, we're just trying to win games. Whoever helps us win games, that's who our feature back is, I guess, end quote. They understandably are a little dodgy with that, but if you have a guy who's clearly more effective, there's really no point. If you have a guy or intend to have a guy who's going to get 24 to 20 touches a game, It doesn't really matter if you're dodgy. There's no competitive advantage to be gained by being dodgy about that question. So let's go back to Brandon Bean because maybe you thought that this isn't convincing enough for you. Well, Bruce, I mean, Gore and Singletary, that's not really an obvious choice. One of them isn't crazy dynamic. If he was presented with that, surely this regime would favor a strong workhorse. Okay. So Brandon Bean, going back to him, in the 2017 Carolina Draft Room, GM Dave Gettleman is soliciting opinions from members of his front office on Christian McCaffrey. And Brandon Bean said, quote, he's a great football player, has Luke Kuechly's DNA, just a great overall fit, end quote. So as you know, the Carolina Panthers did end up selecting Christian McCaffrey. And although their assistant GM called him a great football player, a great fit, and said he had the DNA of one of the best players in the history of the franchise, he still came in and played second fiddle to an incumbent aging back during his first season. There's evidence all over the place that even though they say these things, And despite the actions that seem to show up, whether that's drafting someone really high who's really talented or a clear efficacy difference, nothing seems to indicate that either Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott, and as a side note, Brian Dable, we talked about him already, would be in favor of one guy getting the vast plurality of all the touches. Now, we've talked about what they've seen. We've talked about what they've said. Now let's talk about what they've spent. The reason that this is a they is because Sean McDermott was in charge pre-2017 draft and up to the 2017 draft. He was making the calls. After the 2017 draft, Brandon Bean was making the calls. So we got to use them both together. These are the resources that they have spent on... The running back position. Mike Tolbert, unrestricted free agent signing, one year, $980,000 contract. Chris Ivory, unrestricted free agent signing, two years, $5.5 5 million contract. Frank Gore, unrestricted free agent signing, one year, $2 million contract. Devin Singletary, third round draft pick. Zach Moss, third round draft pick. Matt Breida, unrestricted free agent signing, one year, $1.05 million contract. There haven't been meaningful resources spent on the running back position. It's been a pretty balanced situation. In addition to these expenditures, it should be noted that the last bell Cal running back the bills had, LaShawn McCoy was released during the final cuts in 2019 in Sean McDermott's first year with the Buffalo bills in 2017. There was a workhorse back in LaShawn McCoy, averaged a little over 21 touches a game. And then in 2018, the workload was a lot different in touches between LaShawn McCoy and Chris Ivory. So a bell cow running back was in place when McDermott got here and then McDermott got rid of the concept. And it hasn't been that way in Buffalo since 18, 19, 20. No Bell Cow running back for the Buffalo Bills. In fact, the money that the Buffalo Bills saved when they released LaShawn McCoy, about $6 million on the cap, is right around the same expenditure as the total amount of all money paid out to non-fullback running backs who have made the final 53-man roster and contributed on offense. Think about it. Tolbert was a million. Chris Ivory was only here for one year. Frank Gore was $2 million. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, third-round picks. They're not being highly paid. Matt Breida's $1 million. The release of LaShawn McCoy was almost more than the totality of all of the other average annual value contracts that have been done by this regime. The way the bills have spread out the resources at that position does not lend itself Toward the thinking that they're at all your eggs in one basket kind of team. So what they've seen, what they've said, what they've spent, all of these behaviors that the regime has exhibited and the behaviors of their influences says the same thing. Bell cow touch hog running back is probably not their preferred method of running back deployment. So It's probably a fun debate who's going to be the guy in 2021. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Matt Breida, Antonio Williams, perhaps. Maybe you're a Christian Wade truther. And although you might think there might be a guy for the Bills in 2021, it seems more than likely that the answer is not going to be the guy, it's going to be the guys. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo runner.